Hey, it's Leah. Before we start this episode, I just wanted to tell you about this other show called Stuff the British Stole. It's from CBC Podcast and Australia Radio National, and it's got all the story elements I love. It's got colonial theft. It's got museums denying that theft. It's got intrigue. It's got jokes by Australians. Join host Mark Fresnel as he picks one artifact and takes you on the wild, evocative, sometimes funny, and often tragic adventure of how it got to where it is today. Check it out on the same thing that you're listening to this on or on CBC Listen. This is a CBC Podcast. This is a Secret Life of Canada crash course. Just a little bit of history. And just a warning, this episode contains strong language and content, because history does sometimes. Fortunately, they were able to ax the door down for us to get out. And uh, that's when the riot squad went in and started um, to get the guys out. They started beating us as we came through the door. That was a clip from the 2015 NFB film Ninth Floor. It's directed by Mina Shum, and it's an account of Canada's biggest student protest, which happened in 1969. It's known as the Sir George Williams Affair, and it's seen as a turning point for Black activism and race relations in Canada. Okay, I I haven't heard about this, so, so what happened? Okay, so in the spring of 1968, six Black students, Terrence Ballantyne, Douglas Massup, Kennedy Frederick, Wendell Gooden, Alan Brown, and Rodney John, all of whom were originally from the Caribbean, were attending Sir George Williams University in Montreal. Sir George Williams University is now known as Concordia University. They ended up lodging a formal complaint against their biology professor, Perry Anderson, alleging racial discrimination. And what was this complaint about specifically? Well, they said he was failing them. He was giving them lower grades because they were black, which, you know, that was not uncommon at this time. I have older people in my family who have Mm -hmm. told me these same stories about, you know, you didn't have the option to fail, by the way. If you're an immigrant from the Caribbean going to school in Canada, you have to have good grades. And so profs would make up new rules for the black students and find excuses to fail them. It was terrible. Right, right. Okay, so what happened? So after the students submitted their claims to the university, a committee was appointed to look it all over, but they rejected the students' claims of racism. The decision came down on January 29, 1969, which was months and months after they filed the original complaint. And pretty soon after, 200 students and other demonstrators started a peaceful sit-in at the computer center on the ninth floor of the Henry F. Hall building. And for any Montrealers, um, the building is on Maisonneuve Boulevard West uh, in between McKay Street and Bishop Street. It's now known as the H building by students. Okay, so 200 people showed up, which that's like a decent number for a sit-in. It's like pretty impressive. Yeah, it was good. But, you know, it was also 1969. And this was a time where mass protests were happening all around the world. More than 50,000 persons took part and thousands of them marched on the Pentagon to protest the war. In Toronto, 5,000 people join in a sidewalk parade to protest against the war. The Toronto chief of police, James... Right. The war in Vietnam was in its 12th year and there was a massive societal shift going on and a lot of major protests were student-led at the time. Students have been making their voice heard for years. 
Japanese students have brought down governments. In Indonesia, in India, in Egypt, they've been major instruments of political power. This tradition of student protests has only lately spread to the West. Yeah, and even more context for this particular story is that this is also the height of the black liberation period. So 1960, that's called the Year of Africa for many pivotal reasons, but it includes the fact that 17 different African nations became independent by either leaving or rejecting their colonial states. Around this same time period, 10 different Caribbean nations formed the West Indies Federation. This was a plan to form a union and gain their independence from Britain. It didn't work out for the West Indies Federation, but that was the beginning of this idea of leading independent black states worldwide. So throughout the world in the 60s, you see also many formidable black leaders and philosophers take the stage. People like Angela Davis, Franz Fanon, Rocky Jones, Elaine Brown, and Stokely Carmichael. Here's a bit of Carmichael speaking in 1969. Now, the second battle that we're now fighting is whether or not we will have the right to use the terms to decide how our movement is going to go. They don't want us to use black power. I got news for them. You know, I miss when, like, I feel like so much of our activism now is through our phones. And so, like, hearing someone speak to, and then a crowd, and a crowd responding yeah. is like, wow, I feel like maybe we could move things along a little faster if we did things in person. Yeah, yeah. No, it's nice. In 1968, one year before the protests began, Stokely Carmichael came to Montreal and participated in the Black Writers Congress at McGill University. It was a huge event attended by black thought leaders around the globe, and 2,000 people came to hear him speak. And 1968 was also the year Martin Luther King Jr. was murdered, right? That's right, yeah. And actually, one of the key people of the Sir George Williams protest was a man by the name of Rosie Douglas. We're going to talk about him some more later on. But when MLK was shot, Rosie Douglas was one of the organizers of a memorial protest through the streets of Montreal. Okay, so clearly... There's a lot going on around this time period, and this is sort of when these black students feel empowered to, you know, stand up for themselves and and lodge this complaint. Exactly. And so the sit-in was started with the aim of getting the university to reconsider the students' claims. And, you know, it was pretty peaceful. It was a mixed group of both white and black kids, and the students sat in the university's then state-of-the-art computer room, which was not a room of computers, by the way. It was a room that held one giant computer. Think of if you've ever seen the movie Hidden Figures. I don't know if you yes, have, but yeah, 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 think of yeah. the computer room <laughs> in that movie. Yes, like at this time, the 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 power of one personal computer could you know take up an entire room. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And it was rare and really expensive, so it made sense that the students picked a spot that would hold up some work and slightly scare the administrators in the sense that they would speed up a resolution. Absolutely, I am all for this because I'm. Mohawk and we love a barricade. Um, but no, it's true. Like you do, like it's a thing that I've thought a lot about is that the only way that you can really get the attention of, you know, politicians or people is to stand between them and their money. It's, it's, yeah. that's kind of it. Yep. Okay. So did holding this computer room hostage work? Well, yes and no. After the sit-in had been going on for days, the students and administrators did try to negotiate a deal where the students would agree to leave the building in exchange for a new committee that would reevaluate the original complaint of racism. But that's not what happened on February 11th, 1969. Phelan, can you read the account of Rodney John, one of the students that filed the original complaint? 
In the early morning of February 11th, the police were brought to the hall building through the garage and up to the 13th floor. After the students had all gathered in the computer center, Professor Chet Davis asked the acting principal, D.B. Clark, to have the police allow the students to leave the occupation peacefully. Clark refused the entreaty, stating that they were waiting on the arrival of the riot police. I mean, I'm... I am yeah. unsurprised by this, to be honest. You yeah, know? exactly. It's terrible. And many of the protesters barricaded themselves in the computer room while others sheltered in places all across the building. The phone lines were cut and the elevators were taken out of service. And many people who were there say that what happened next was not the original group of protesters, that there were other folks who showed up just to be instigators. OK, so what happened? So protesters started chucking equipment and these these computer cards. They look kind of like flashcards or small pieces of paper. They threw those out the window. And this was particularly bad because these cards held the data. They were the code. So they were extremely important. They were basically the computer, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so... Then, after they started throwing those out the window, people started destroying the computer itself, and a fire broke out. The riot police moved in and started beating and arresting people, and the streets were in chaos. The crowd below on the streets started chanting, burn, N-word, burn. Let the N-words burn. I'm, yeah, I'm I'm not, again, not surprised by that, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was 19... 19- you know, mm-hmm. 69. It was mm-hmm. awful. And, you know, many of the people who were there maintained that they actually didn't destroy anything or start a fire or throw any cards out the window. Here is Rosie Douglas, one of the organizers, speaking about the incident 20 years later on the CBC program Midday in 1989. So I have not been able to convince myself that, in fact, the original group of about two or three dozen students who went inside our computer center were, in fact, responsible um, there are a number of students who joined us later, apparently in solidarity. Yeah. Some of which I have never seen after the actual um, day, February 11th. I've never seen them. They were never brought before the courts. And it leads one to believe, given some of the things that were going on at the time, whether in fact the whole thing was provoked and whether we were not being used to, to project us not as, um, as people seeking basic human and civil rights, but as, as communists or as, as a bunch of, of um, uh, redneck radicals. Um, I am not convinced that the students I went in there um, were the ones who committed the violence, and I, and I very much regret that the violence, in fact, did. Well, it would not be the first time undercover cops have been sent in to join protests and then cause chaos. Yeah, it is a tactic. But, you know, when it was all over, 97 people, both black and white, both students and non-students, were arrested. And the estimate was that there was over $2 million in damage. Now, this is 1969, so that's that's mm-hmm. a lot of money. I just wanted to take a break to tell you about another CBC podcast I think you might like. It's called Death in Cryptoland. It's a true story about a crypto tycoon, his secret past, his sudden demise, and an online sleuth's obsession to unravel the truth behind his mysterious company. You can check it out on the same thing that you're listening to this on or on CBC Listen. Okay, and what happened to the original complaint, the complaint that the students lodged? I can't imagine this is going to end well. (laughs) You're correct. The following day, on February 12, 1969, the university acquitted the professor of all charges of racism and gave him his job back. (laughs) 
Yeah. yeah. So the really interesting thing was that this was world news. It wasn't just covered in Montreal or in Canada. Several protests erupted in the Caribbean at Canadian consulates and other places. And these were people protesting the university and the Canadian government. Demonstrations in other countries against the United States are by now a matter of course. But against Canada, well, it happened this week in the West Indies. In Trinidad, 200 students invaded the Royal Bank of Canada building. The purpose of the demonstrations to protest against alleged discrimination in Canada and to show solidarity with the black students charged following the computer burning incident at uh, Sir George Williams University last year. That's interesting that they protested in front of the Royal Bank of Canada. Um, And this kind of makes me think of um, the episode that we did uh, a few seasons back um, about Canada's relationship with the Caribbean um, and why the Royal Bank is, is, you know, such a major force in the West Indies. Why is it when you go to the West Indies, you can go to a Royal Bank of Canada or like Mm -hmm. Scotia banks Mm -hmm. all over the Caribbean? It's weird. Anyway, but that's what was happening all over the Caribbean. People started protesting against the Canadian government and this university. What were Canadians saying? What was the public reaction? You think the students were right? Students are right. I think it's deplorable. Smashing of the computer. I don't know that that's all bad. If if they can prove their point by doing so, I think that that's okay. I think that if these people want to act like this, they've got vitamin in their system, send them to Vietnam. Maybe that'll get it out of their system. Uh, Mm. Ma'am, here's your ticket to the Mayflower. (laughs) Bye. Why don't you go back to where you came from? I mean, good point. Yes. (laughs) You're not from here. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Great, great point. You know, I listened to a lot of this tape. Obviously, Mm -hmm. we couldn't play it all in here. And a lot of people actually supported the students. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Hmm. Okay, so what what happened to the students? Did they end up going to jail or were they, you know, sort of acquitted? Well, it was kind of all over the place. The two people that were identified as the kind of ringleaders served jail time. And they were Rosie Douglas, who we heard from a bit earlier mm-hmm. in the episode, and Ann Cools. Um, Rosie Douglas got two years and Ann Cools got four months. Oh, my God. I know, two years. Can you imagine? Uh, there were more protests against their sentences, but unfortunately both had to serve their time. And then Rosie Douglas was actually deported back to Dominica. Um, I want to play a bit from an incredible interview I listened to from 1970 with Rosie Douglas and CBC reporter Doug Collins. Well, first of all, it is necessary that black people begin to fight against racism in any form, wherever it appears. And this is what this Sir George Williams University incident was all about. Does that include violence? Well, I mean... If you are racist, by implication, you are imposing your, your, your values and you're imposing your power on people in a manner which is not in the best keeping with their basic human integrity. And this is a form of violence. In other words, when you have black people living in Preston, Nova Scotia, in houses that are not heated when temperature drops to 20 below zero during winter, this is a form of violence. I like him. <laughs> I know. I thought you would. I do, too. And you know what? So did the people of Dominica, because after he was deported back home, he would eventually go on to become prime minister. That's amazing. Boom. Yes. <laughs> and the other person I mentioned who did jail time, Ann Cools, she became a senator under Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau. Um, here she is talking about the Sir George Williams affair on CBC in 2015. They were all offered a, plea de- uh, a, a, a deal, plead guilty, and, and that's it. And I thought that would be a terrible thing to do because I didn't think I had done anything that, that was wrong. 
I was I had no part in any of the damage, but that was just I guess how I was raised. I was raised that if you see an injustice, you should object. And if you are asked to do something that you think is wrong, you should not do it. In latter years, in respect, I looked back, I realized that's a youthful approach to the, to the issue. But that's the fact of what happened. Many people are surprised. Okay, so out of this emerged a senator and a prime minister. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm, I'm curious, what about the other students that filed the complaint? Well, you know, five of them went on to complete their education, many earning multiple degrees. Because why? Because they were great students mm-hmm. who were not actually failing, which was the mm-hmm. point. You know, one of the six, though, did not. He, he actually really struggled and had a breakdown due to all the stress of the incident. So, you know, there were multiple repercussions and all of them, even the ones who went on to do more schooling, are still very much, you know, affected by this incident. But many black organizations and community groups were formed and inspired by these six students and those other protesters. And that's why it's considered such a turning point for black organizing and activism in Canada. Well, yeah, this is something to celebrate, Mm -hmm. I think. So, um, Leah. Yes. I got you these flowers. Thank you. Invisible flowers. Happy Black History Month, Leah. Happy Black History Month to you, too. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.